0: You're listening to The Concierge on Monocle. Coming up on today's programme, Monocle's in-house concierge is on hand to answer audience questions with their tips, tricks and contacts from our unrivaled Little Black Book. And how has the world of travel changed for 2023? Our travel expert is on hand to unpick the data for us. We take a stroll through one of the most historic cities on Finland's southern coast...
1: I set out to explore Porvo and its charming 15th-century-old town. Soon, my tote bag was filled with artisanal chocolates and licorice that Porvo is famous for, as well as some great finished design.
0: We'll wrap up all the news in air travel that should be on your radar this week, including our take on the new Terminal A at Newark Airport. Plus, we walk the renovated boardwalk on Miami South Beach.
2: It's a public space on which life unfolds, as much for those who live in the area as it is for those just passing through.
0: That's all to come on The Concierge in association with Allianz Partners. Welcome from London. You're listening to The Maiden Flight of The Concierge on Monocle 24 with me, Robert Bound. This is the show that takes you on the road, on the rails, by water, air or land for the latest takeoffs and touchdowns in the world of travel. Um, Well, it's great to be in the cockpit for this very first edition of The Concierge. And even more excitingly, alongside me, are Monocle's editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, and editor, Josh Fennett. Welcome, folks, to the programme. Lovely to have The Brains Trust
3: here on The Maiden Voyage. Well, Rob, I'm very la- pleased you've let me in the cockpit. I thought I was going to be stuck with the drinks trolley down the back of the plane, but uh, it's, it's very nice to be up here at the front. I can hear the rattling of bottles.
4: Uh, you're always welcome, Andrew. Josh, nice to, nice to see you. I was trying to recognise myself in the descriptions on the menu. Am I the travel expert? Am I the in-house concierge? Or am, I the, uh, am I the guy carrying the bags? Hard to tell. All will be revealed, Josh. <laughs> we, like, we, like, we like to spring an element of surprise, even
0: on the co-hosts of this programme. Should we go down the, the, the desk quickly and just ask, where was, where was your, la-
3: were your, your passport last stamped? I'm true. Uh, it was stamped this morning, leaving Brussels. Uh, so I chugged my way back from Brussels this morning and uh, had drinking all the way. No, I, I was. Uh, it was actually I, I said no Sorry, to I was using I, the American. I, I managed, I managed chug. to say no to the, the, the mini bottle of wine at, at 8, <laughs> 8, eleven in the morning. 11 in the morning. <laughs>
0: nice Brussels, it is. Josh, what about you? You 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 must be on first name terms with the the, the
4: good folk at Shannon Airport by now. <laughs> I was in Ireland over Christmas, but few of the travel highlights come from there. Not because there aren't good things to. See. But yeah. because I think we're gonna we're gonna spin the globe a bit, aren't we? Uh, I was actually in Rome as well before Christmas, and I went up to um, to Venice as well. And um, I just want to put in a word for visiting places that are amazing in the complete off season. Yeah, when you get the best of service, when people are a bit more desperate for you to be there in some ways, and there's a little bit more space. And I stayed at this great new hotel. It's the oldest uh, stone-built palazzo on the Grand Canal. I read on their website earlier today. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, and confusingly, if you're trying to Google it, it's called... The copywriter's ears will be burning. <laughs> and confusingly, if you try and Google it, it's been given the worst name imaginable. It's called the Venice Venice Hotel.
0: <laughs> so good they named it twice. Um, and while, while you and Andrew are around the desk um, with me here, um, this is the maiden voyage of, of the concierge. What is this, for, for you two and for Monocle as a brand, what's this, what's
4: this programme aiming to do? Well, I think when you peruse magazines or you go onto websites and you're looking for travel, there is a bit of an obsession with novelty and I think what Monocle tries to do is try and introduce a sense of 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 purpose and of place in the things we cover. So sometimes it's not the newest hotel, the spangliest opening, the 15th in a um portfolio owned by a a, a big group. It's the one hotel that chose not to renovate, it's the place that stayed special the restaurant that remembers your name, the, the the booking, whether it's in Sydney or San Francisco or Singapore, that is going to make your trip there on the one night that you're there worthwhile. And we're lucky to have a group of journalists all over the world who are able to pitch up in front of the mayor, who are able to pitch up and know what's going on in terms of urbanism, design, architecture, but also maybe where to take a contact and where to uh, where to get off the clock as well. So that's what we try and offer, a bit of, uh, bit of good taste in a world filled with novelty.
3: Well, I was just going to add that you know, we started in 2007. We've never taken a press trip in all that time. All the stories have appeared in the magazine. We're, we're not the first people that uh, the PR agents call. We're, we're the last because we don't take those trips. And so all of the reporting that's been done has been done by our team paying their way. So there's a, an authority, I think, about what we've, we've got to say. Perfect. Well,
0: you've kind of set yourself up for the next item perfectly there, Andrew. I can hear the distant tolling of concierge bells. <laughs> so it sounds good, doesn't it? That's uh, vaguely reminiscent to all of us. It's not, normally, is it a complaint? Do we need more ice? <laughs> is this room service? What's going on? Anyway, this is the uh, launch of our concierge, our, our titular uh, concierge service, and the desk is open for your questions. So first up, um, for you, Josh, are we doing accents on this programme? I don't know. Let's just call him Bruce Foster from
3: Australia. Long-time listener, first-time writer – I'm visiting family in New South Wales and will spend a few days in Sydney in the next month or so. I know the beaches, but what have I
0: missed? And what should I see before I leave? Josh okay what what can you how can you help Bruce
4: out there well I'll preface this by asking you Rob what your favorite book of 2016 was was it Harry Potter the cursed child one of the one of the top sellers or was it monocle's own travel guide to Sydney oh it's definitely the latter okay good good yeah. good because that um, that's my connection with the city which I've been back to <laughs> many times since and we have a roster of amazing journalists who are covering every single opening so while I haven't been to Sydney myself since before the uh, pandemic we've been covering everything that's happening in in an amazing upheaval for the city over the past few years so what I'd recommend for um I'm sorry what was his name Bruce was it Bruce uh, Bruce Foster what I'd, recommend, what I'd recommend for Bruce if he's visiting in the next month or so would be to check out the the Capella Sydney which is the third property from a big Singaporean company um, they also own a, a place in Singapore and a place in Hanoi but they've taken over this completely incredible sandstone block in the CBD just off George Street Thank you. Bruce uh,
0: sends his thanks from Australia as well, obviously. Um, Andrew, um, we've got uh, um from New York.
5: So I finally decided to stop in Palma for a few days in a couple weeks. I've been saving some addresses mentioned in the Monocle Minute, but I'm pretty hungry for more. What are some of the best off-season food, drink and culture recommendations from a new Palma local?
3: All right. Well, that's me. Yeah, that is. You're uh, in so, the batting I, cage, Andrew. Yeah, and so I've got a thousand things I could recommend. But um, culturally, we just did a trip off-season, which was absolutely perfect. We drove to the far side of the island from Palma to the Bay of al And you go along this snaking little road. And at the end of it, there is an Egyptian house built by Hassan Fathy, an amazing architect from Egypt in 1978, for a wealthy couple of philanthropists, art dealers, art makers themselves tragically their daughter was killed in a a motorcycle accident and they turned it into a foundation so suddenly you're on this plot of land that used to be a military base that they built this house on and you're in the middle of nowhere off season it was a sunny day not all of the art is is extraordinary but the the setting is just unbelievable and then we just drove down into the bay of alcudia and we found a little place called stay it was kind of the only place that was open on out on a, a jetty into the water Winter sunlight coming through. We had a few glasses of wine in the afternoon and life could not have been uh, more perfect. So that's, uh, there's so many cultural things to Beautiful. recommend. But that's for, for culture. Uh-huh. And then for food, I'm going to bring you, well, I'll bring you back into the city. So El Camino is this restaurant that's got a, a lot of press. And actually, I, I do think it's worth going. You, you, sit, uh, you sit at a bar. It's you, the drama of the food being made in front of you. They've got an amazing Spanish wine list, which, which I love.
0: I'm so well hydrated, I think I do need some sort of intervention
3: after that. Um, You've set the scene beautifully. We've uh, been
0: fed, watered, and we've taken a beautiful drip to the Bay of Alcudia. Yes. Um, It sounds amazing, Andrew. Thank you very much. Well, that's our first edition of The Concierge. I feel like there'll be a boxing match time bell now. My thanks to Josh Fennett and Andrew Tuck for our concierge service there. Time now for The In Crowd, where we walk you through our favourite hotels and their surroundings. This week is the turn of the historic city of Porvo on Finland's southern coast, one of the country's most beloved destinations. Our Helsinki correspondent Petri Bertsov visited this delightful old town for us and explored the area's most popular accommodation, the Runo Hotel.
1: Charming and colourful wooden houses line the picturesque streets of Porvo's old town whose streets offer the visitors lovely small boutiques, cafes and bistros. Porvo, one of the oldest towns in Finland, is a popular tourism destination. Despite being located just a short drive from the capital Helsinki on Finland's southern coast, Porvo feels distinctly rural and quaint, and is the perfect escape for those looking for a break from hectic city life. Located in a century-old Art Nouveau building, on the city's main square, Runa Hotel is the city's most popular and loved hotel. It was the second hotel in Finland to be included in the Design Hotels Alliance and attracts visitors from both Finland and abroad with its beautiful interiors, Nordic charm and local art.
6: Hi! Hi Petri, welcome to Runa Hotel Porvo. Oh, welcome back. Thank you so much. Glad to have you here with us. Hi, my name is Erkka Hirvonen and I'm the uh, GM of Runo Hotel Porvo and one of the owners. We are part of the Design Hotels Alliance as the second hotel in Finland. So the design since the beginning was playing a very crucial role for us because we really wanted to represent the Finnish culture and design being a very big part of Finnish culture. Actually, Porvo is a, we call it, small countryside town, a very old historical one, close to the Helsinki. Uh, so we want to really bring out and uh, represent also the, the rustic the countryside feel of the destination, but at the same time with a modern twist.
1: Hirvonen has worked for some of Dubai's top hotels, and upon his return to Finland chose Porvo as the site of his new project.
6: Here's why. First of all, you know, the history and the beautiful, cozy, cute old town itself, it is visually a, a gorgeous place, and especially it's next to the river, where you have these red river houses, you know, just mirroring the water. But with the second second thing, what we have here, which we are very famous for, is the restaurant scene. I would say that, you know, the Porvo is considered an almost profile, like the casual dining, let's say the casual San Sebastian of Finland. So we have Beautiful 8 to 10 fantastic restaurants within 500 meter radius. So literally steps away from our uh, hotel door.
1: No hotel in Finland is complete without an in-house sauna. And Runo Hotel has one too, of course. Despite being a modern design hotel, Runo's sauna experience is similar to that of a traditional countryside sauna, which all Finns
6: love. You know, the Finnish sauna culture usually combines two elements. It's usually water meaning a lake, whether cold or hot, usually cold, uh, and the sauna. So obviously, and it's in an attic, so we couldn't really build a swimming pool there. Uh, so we, first of all, built beautiful, large, massive, very great sauna with the floor-to-ceiling windows, uh, and in the future it will be open terrace, so you will actually see from the sauna over the whole beautiful old town. And the second element of water, we built this ice-cold water bucket on the wall that you actually pull from the rope, on top of you. So instead of putting the cold water or the chill pool on the floor, we put it actually on the wall.
1: I set out to explore Porvo and its charming 15th century old town. Soon my tote bag was filled with artisanal chocolates and licorice that Porvo is famous for, as well as some great Finnish design. Porvo, of course, is much more than just a historic old town. Visitors can go fishing and paddling in its river or hiking and skiing in its forests. Runo Hotel even organizes guided tours during which the visitors can go berry and mushroom picking in Porvo's forests. For restaurants, Monaco recommends Salt, Sinne and Sikapelle. And of course, my own favorite, Vor, where I decided to head next. Hey, do you still have the mallard on the menu?
5: Yes, we do. Yes, we
1: do. Okay,
4: I will definitely go for that. It's my favorite. Hi, uh, my name is Nico Lehto. We're at the uh, restaurant War here in Porvo. Uh, at the moment, we have one of the main ingredients on our menu is local wild pike perch that we use whole. The whole cutting fish using all the parts, tongues, uh, fins, uh, fillets and everything, cheek, bo- cheek, cheek meat and everything and... Another one is that we are currently working is uh Finnish mallard that we use also, the whole, whole bird.
1: Then it was time to head back to my base at Runa Hotel and try out its famous cocktail bar. I sat at the hotel's 12 meter long marble bar and decided to go for their signature cocktail.
7: my name is and I'm a bartender
6: at Runo Hotel, and this is our favourite cocktail, Runo Clover Club.
1: It is easy to understand why Porvo is one of Finland's most loved cities. It's the perfect small town getaway, with rich history, colourful architecture, high quality food and drink, and lots of things to do in and around the town. For Monocle in Porvo, I'm Petri Burtsov. <laughs>
0: Now, let's take a look at the latest in the world of travel right now. And with me in the studio is Julia Lowe-Blue Said, CEO of Advantage Travel. Julia, it's wonderful to have a proper expert on hand um, for this programme. So tell us in broad terms, what are the biggest changes we're seeing in the travel market at
8: the moment? Without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what market we look, whether we look at how Europeans are travelling, how the Americans are travelling, how Brits are travelling, without question, there is no correlation to You've got an economic crisis and what people are spending their money on. Um, we're seeing um, a lot more upgrades. So whether that's in, you know, people upgrading suites, upgrading flights, you know, people are putting a lot more into their travel now.
0: I mean, you've kind of mentioned this kind of wanderlust that people have got after the pandemic and all the rest of it. Um so I presume there are some new destinations on people's lists. Can you give us a, a, two or three?
8: Yeah, there really are. So places, if you look at Europe, places like Montenegro um, are really starting to come through. Actually, Estonia as well. Um, great value, but some great products out there. And, and I think what I found really interesting, if we look at the cruise market, which has really grown exponentially, there's a lot of um, cruise lines who are putting new product in the market. So Silver Seas, you know, are basing three ships out in the in the Arctic now phenomenal so for people that really want to indulge really want to experience something different the cruise market is certainly trying to meet that demand
0: what are the headlines in the world of business travel at the moment it feels like it's a sector that's booming
8: it is booming. Um, we're certainly seeing, for long haul, you know, people where they're booking advance. They're able to, you know, they're wanting to travel in in a bit more uh, a bit more style. And actually, private jet. And I know that can be a bit of a taboo for some in some areas, but private jet travel has is, is grown exponentially. How so... do you think I got here today? <laughs> of course, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's but it's you know it's it's um, you know it's it's really proven pretty popular for for a lot of people that actually post pandemic also you know we can't forget how people. People felt and they wanted to have their own space. They wanted to, you know, have you know more villas were being sold. So people wanted to make sure that they didn't want to mix. They didn't feel comfortable mixing. So those that you know are able to afford it and indulge slightly, you know, are are using private jet as an option.
0: And business trips, Julia, are they getting longer?
8: Business trips are are getting longer, but they're getting longer because. Those of us that travel um, for business, we don't want to be an, uh, a traveling nomad anymore. We don't want to be one night in one place, live out of a suitcase if we're going to a destination we want to experience the destination so um, we have this term which is not a very nice term but it's called pleasure so it's combining your business and leisure trip but we're seeing that grow quite a lot particularly for the younger cohort that's coming through the industry so all all through through business that they want to experience the destination Um, and so therefore the business trip is getting getting longer pleasure pleasure
0: pleasness (laughs) Is it even worse? (laughs) That's the option. Um, Julia, thank you for your words of wisdom. Coming up next, it's Watch Your Altitude.
4: Just like the Monocle team, Allianz Partners is committed to helping you build exceptional experiences. Allianz Partners' reputation for excellence and the continuous drive to innovate means the business is uniquely equipped to accompany its partners and customers with their ever-changing travel needs. So get out there and visit the places, enjoy the experiences and meet the people changing the world of hospitality for the better. Allianz Partners, get the most out of your experience with peace of mind.
0: You are with the concierge and it's time now for Watch Your Altitude, the moment in the programme where we bring you the very latest from the world of air travel. And here now with the headlines, we're joined from Stockholm by Gabriel Lee, Monocle's very own transport correspondent. Gabriel, it's been ages. I hope you're jolly well there in Stockholm.
7: Yes, I'm very well, and I hope you are as well.
0: Yeah, nice to hear your dulcet tones here uh, uh, on Monocle 24. Um, but we're starting with something a little bit mournful, I suppose, for the for well seasoned, seasoned uh, plane watchers and the general public alike. The beloved Boeing 747 has bowed out. W- what's next for this uh, iconic plane?
7: That's right. I mean, luckily we'll still see them flying for some time, just not, you know, we know that their days are numbered in the sky now. The uh, Boeing delivered the last one it ever built uh very recently and most of these now are flying as freighters so as passengers you can't really uh you know it's, it's more and more difficult to enjoy your time on the 747 uh and and i have to say that you know in, in terms of aircraft out there i don't know if we'll ever see anything quite like it these days most aircraft are you know uh, tubes with uh, two engines one under each wing and uh, it's going to keep being that way because that's sort of the most efficient way but i think we can maybe look forward to a time when there's uh, some kind of groundbreaking new technology coming, and there are some hints of this already. Well,
0: we're going to get a little bit more specific, Gabriel. Um, Porter Airlines um, start commercial flights with the largest aircraft in the E Jet E two family. Um, is this the future? Maybe you could give us a little bit of background just on what what that uh, craft is.
7: Right. So the E two is Embraer's updated regional jet. It's a it's a well liked, uh, you know, some would say loved regional jet because it's spacious. It, it flies with the economics of a regional jet, so small aircraft. Uh, it has a two-by-two two seating configuration in general. Uh, in, in Porter's case, they only have the one type of seat. They don't have a special business or first class. So so you're talking about two-by-two two seating, so there's no middle seats. Uh, it's quite comfortable to fly in despite being a smaller plane. Airlines love it because it's quite cheap to operate. And the new one just has the latest uh, efficient engines, uh, you know, all the latest tech to, uh, to, to be more economical and efficient.
0: We queued up, Gabriel, um, Terminal A at uh, Newark Airport in our introduction. What is so good? What is so exciting about Newark's new terminal?
7: I think the most exciting thing about Newark's new terminal is that it's not awful. And that's (laughs) sort of what we what we think of when we think of Newark Airport and parts of Newark Airport are still awful. Uh, You know, very dated terminals. And uh, it's part of a a sort of ongoing renaissance of all the New York area airports. Anyone who's passed through LaGuardia Airport recently may have seen that it's a completely transformed place. It used to be one of the most terrible places to fly through in the world. And now it's among among the best. Uh, So Newark is sort of on this journey as well. Terminal A is the, the latest and greatest. It has light. It has big open ceilings. It has art from local artists. It has, you know, New Jersey focused uh, historical uh, displays. It has it has eateries that are special to New Jersey. That, that's also kind of interesting about it. It's not sort of billing itself as you know the other New York airport now. It's actually sort of trying to champion New Jersey uh, in a sense, which is which is a new approach. So I think anyone passing through there will be very pleased, uh, especially by comparison to what they would have seen in the past. Although Newark Airport as a whole still has a ways to go. And and you probably find yourself connecting to some of the other terminals and having a very mixed
0: experience doing that still. On the line from Stockholm, that was Monocle's transport correspondent Gabriel Lee. OK, next up, it's time for some fair play. Monocle's design editor, Nick Menice, was at Stockholm Furniture for the Concierge. As Scandinavia's largest industry event, it draws in designers, architects and buyers who are keen to furnish their homes and hotels with smart chairs, tables, beds and more, of course. To find out about the importance of the fair and the link between design and contract furniture, or the wares that furnish hospitality spaces, Nick spoke to Johanna Viorio, CEO of Finnish furniture firm Nikari.
5: This is already like our 10th year here. I still remember very well the first time we came here. This is a special place in our hearts because it's the first foreign fair where we ever participated and it was really nerve-wracking to set up the stand and wait for the customers to come. The brilliant thing about this fair is that all the visitors are professionals. They know the trade, they have contract projects where they're working on. No one knew about us in 2012. Instead of those professionals saying that, okay, I don't know, I'm not interested, and going, by We heard the phrase, why haven't I heard of you before? Why didn't I know about Nikari before? And it felt really wonderful for us young entrepreneurs. We've been participating at the Stockholm Venture Fair ever since. It has a nice vibe and people are friendly, they know a lot, so you get to talk about real things and you meet people from all over the world. We also call this sort of like a domestic fair because a lot of Finnish companies, Finnish visitors also, and we wish to continue this way. The questions are spot on. They are about the practical issues, like will it be durable enough for that? And I'd say that after the first feedback, ever since that, we've been developing everything we do to reach the contract levels. Our joinery, our dimensions, everything is durable enough for a contract use. I think for us, it's like it starts already in the very beginning of the design process because we aim to have everything durable enough for contract purposes. So they are definitely fine for homes, but they need to be durable. And that means that we need to think about the dimensions and the joinery details. The joints can't be too small. You need to take care of the surface treatment which way to treat the product in order to have it last. In a hospital, for example, if you use very heavy disinfectant to keep the surface clean. So definitely, they are the things that we consider every day within our design process. We are following our own path. We are always trying to suggest the best solution for the project in hand. Our team is really, really long term professionals themselves. So I'd say that our design people really can give great answers to the customers who are looking for something like should be durable in a very, very particular environment. So I'd say their looks will be Nikari anyway, but then we hope that they will fit into various, very high end and different environments. It's nicer to have a lot of different options. Not everything should look the same. There are some certain styles suitable for other places and then maybe softer forms to other places. So I hope that there will be something for everyone. And naturally the wood gives this kind of warmth into the surface and into the atmosphere. I hope that the customers like what we are offering.
0: That was Johanna Vuorio, CEO of Finnish furniture firm Nikari. And finally, it's time for a letter from our weekly dispatch from our correspondents and contributors from destinations across the world. This week, Monocle's Thomas Lewis sends us this letter from Miami on how a decade-long renovation of the coastal footpath that runs between the city and the sand through the Miami Beach neighbourhood has reinvigorated that long-standing fixture of beachside cities in the US, the boardwalk.
2: It was a day or two after my birthday last November in Miami, and one night at around 10 o'clock in the evening, the festivities having well ebbed by then, we opted to go for a gentle stroll through the neighbourhood before turning in for the day. Our path took us along the Miami Beach boardwalk, which snakes north for seven miles from the southern tip of the neighbourhood all the way up to 87th Street. It's lined by the neighbourhood on one side and the sea on the other. And despite it being fairly deep into the evening, the air was warm, the dark sky was clear, and the boardwalk was full of life. There were couples sharing gelatos on the benches that are dotted along the route. Teenagers crammed onto scooter rentals whizzed by, cyclists passed us too. Dates held hands as they wandered beneath the warm and dim lamplights that lined the route. And one pair of friends, who were walking a dog at the time, each had a fresh cocktail in their hands as they strolled along the walkway. Boardwalks were first conceived in the US in the 1870s, and they still evoke something pretty specific about beachside towns and cities across the United States a raised walkway of wooden planks, usually lined on one flank by amusement parks, food and novelty stands and other kitscher attractions of the ocean front, on the other, the sand and the sea. Miami Beach's boardwalk, or beachwalk, as it's become known to some in the neighbourhood, does something different. Well, it isn't made of boards, first of all. It's been paved in sections along its length. And the curves of the path are fringed by beach plant life, And the route itself gives way to parks, public showering spots, a muscle beach and offshoot walkways onto the beach itself. It took a decade to overhaul the beach walk. Its final stretch was formally completed last summer. But as a whole, it's a refresh of the idea of the boardwalk itself, in that it's not simply a walkway through the novelties of the seaside. It's a public space on which life unfolds, as much for those who live in the area as it is for those just passing through. So the next time you find yourself in South Beach, Miami, be sure to take an evening stroll along the boardwalk down by the sea. For Monocle, I'm Thomas Lewis.
0: My thanks to Thomas Lewis there. And that is it for today's programme. Thanks to our panel, Andrew Tuck, Josh Fennett and Julia Lowe-Blue Said. Our producer was Tom Webb and our studio manager was David Stevens. If you have a question for the concierge, then do drop us a line on concierge at monocle.com. Join us next week when we'll be trying out the brand new Amsterdam to Austria Ski Express night train, among other marvels. For the time being, I've been Robert Bound. Thank you very much for tuning in and
7: happy travels. Oh, you.